You're listening to the Ones Ready Podcast, a team of Air Force Special Operators forged in combat with over 70 years of combined operational experience, as well as a decade of selection instructor experience. If you're tired of settling and you want to do something you truly believe in, you're in the right place. Now here's your host, former prep course ops superintendent and current special reconnaissance training guru, Trent Segmiller. Do you like to look good? You know Aaron and Trent do with that hairdo they have. Check out outerregspomade.com. That's outerregs with an S, pomade.com. They have five different hair care products that you can check out. They have hashtag basic, the dirty mic, the pipe hitter, the original pomade, and then they have the beach bum spray uh, that all go in your hair. I've used some of it. Um, It's really good. And funny enough, it smells really good too uh, and works well. They also have stuff for beard care. If uh, you need some beard oil or beard conditioner, uh, they have tattoo cream that you can use to help keep this, that fresh ink that you've got uh, looking nice. And they also have stickers, hats, and apparel that you guys can check out. Um, this is also a veteran. He's an Air Force guy, um, still young in his career, but I mean, he's killing it already. And uh, really this out of Rex pomade is fantastic. So Use the promo code OnesReady at checkout to get yourself a discount. Um, help them because they help us. We're not getting anything from this, but you know what? Uh, we just want to help because you guys know this. A rising tide raises all ships. So we're just here to help. Again, that's Outer Regs, Palmade with an S. Promo code OnesReady gets you a discount. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the team room. You are with Jared and Trent, and we're going to get started today. If you don't know what that means, you're about to find out. So what, a lot of the questions that we get is, hey, where do I start? What's important? Uh, how do I train? You know, like, and that's that's one of our key uh, things that we're trying to get out there is give you guys the information to help you prepare and come into the pipeline with the greatest chance of success possible. And uh, I couldn't think of anybody that has influenced me more and, and helped me understand how these processes and how my body works uh, that I've ever worked with. Uh, more than our current guest today. And uh, welcome to the podcast, Taylor Starge. Tell us a little bit about yourself. So, uh, yeah, uh, if you guys have never heard about me before, uh, I can understand why. <laughs> uh, I've actually been in the strength and conditioning industry for a while now, over 10 years. So I'm a strength coach by trade, uh, but I got started in Colorado as an endurance athlete. So my journey kind of started way back in the day. Um, training with USA cycling, which ended up being what I went to for college was exercise science. And, you know, if you smash that all together, um, it's been a crazy journey. Uh, worked with probably over 30,000 people. That's the humble brag, but I've been around the block enough to have seen a lot of humans, a lot of hips, ankles, knees, a lot of pull-ups, push-ups, sit-ups. And so, yeah, it started off as I just loved doing things outside, running, biking, baseball, soccer in Colorado. And then I knew once I got to college, there was nothing else I'd be doing except for coaching people. It was just your calling, huh? Yeah, it was one of those when I got to college, you know, at the time I was kind of getting to the elite level uh, with USA Cycling. And it was, I was kind of getting good, but I wasn't quite good enough to make the Olympic level. And it was, do I go to college and get a degree or do I just skip college, go all in and pro? And I honestly didn't want to work at a bike shop the rest of my life if that didn't work out. So my friends at the time were uh, considering the Air Force Academy 
actually, um, we were thinking about going to fly Vipers or F-16s at the Air Force Academy and starting that process. But a lot of my friends decided to go to Colorado State. And at the time, they were number one in the nation for cycling. So it's kind of an easy choice at that point. I was like, well, I get to stay in Colorado. They're number one in the nation for cycling. I want to be a pro cyclist. And when I got there, I was like, well, I don't really care about school, but I like training. I like fitness. I like the human body. So I went exercise science. Within my first month, I was like, yep, this is what I want to do. This is everything I want to do. And you know, a lot of people take a year to find out what they're going to do or, you know, they go to school for business and then they later do something else. The second uh, I went to Colorado State, I was like, I'm going to do something that doesn't involve a computer sitting at a desk and it's going to be training, coaching, or any of the above. And it just it, it just kind of accelerated from there, um, which is pretty cool because when I ended college or to end college, we had to do an internship. And that internship at the time was supposed to be in Colorado. So you had to get an internship um, with like Coors Wellness um, the Colorado Rockies, the Denver Broncos. But at the time, my USA cycling coach actually moved to Australia to work at their Olympic training center, which was called their Institute of Sport. So I called him up. I was like, hey, this is crazy. What do you think about me coming down to Australia to do the internship? He's like, Let, let's do it. Went back to my college and they're like, no, it's not going to happen. They're like, we don't let people go internationally. We don't let students go internationally for internships. So I ended up writing a letter to the dean of the college explaining how this was like a once in a lifetime opportunity. And somehow, somehow they're like, yep, you can go live in Australia. <laughs> so for my senior year or the second half of my senior year, I basically got to go live in Perth, Australia. And that was when I got thrown into the fire, so to speak, when it came to coaching and training. Uh, it was an Olympic year. So they were getting ready for 2012 London Olympics. Um, and this was specifically with cycling. Um, I went down there, moved down there, worked at the Institute seven days a week. We were getting every, everyone ready for the Olympics. And I was coming in as the young hotshot who thought I knew everything. Um, I'd read all the studies. I'd been the top of my class in exercise physiology. I went down there and got obliterated. Actually, to the point where in one day, you know, they thought I was getting a hot head. And so I got pulled into a room with all the coaches of the Institute. So you have the rowing coaches, the cycling coaches, the track and field coaches. And these are the Olympic coaches for Western Australia. And they basically just started grilling me and saying, well, why would you have this guy deadlift? Well, why would you have him do five sets versus four sets? Well, why are you going to have him ride for an hour, not 45 minutes? How, why are you going to have them do hills on that day? And basically for eight hours grilled me to the point I actually broke down crying. Uh, they basically figured I was getting too smart for my own good. And that was the moment my career changed forever because I realized I thought I knew coaching. I thought I knew training. I thought I had all the answers, but I realized I knew nothing. And from then on, that spurred a series of chasing every certification under the sun, reading every book, going to every conference, because that moment showed me, I don't know shit. I don't know my shit. I'm the guy with all talk, no walk, no experience, no knowledge. I, I think I know something because I heard someone say it on the internet. And that was probably one of my lowest moments in my career. And my Olympic coach at the time did that on purpose. He did it to break me. 
And what ended up happening is from that point on, I said, I'm not going to be that kid ever again who was in that room. Man, we, we never run into people on the internet that think that they know everything and start asking us questions. That, <laughs> that never happens. You know what that's actually called? That's actually called the Dunning-Kruger uh, Kruger or Kruger effect, which is from psychology, which is basically people overestimate their expertise. Everyone. <laughs> every time, much. every time I record a podcast, I realize that yeah. about myself. <laughs> it's like so true. So people who are earlier in their careers overestimate their expertise. And then, you know, people who are far in their careers are like, I don't know anything. I feel like I know nothing. And then you repeat that 10 cycles throughout your career. So I'm currently in one of those, I don't feel like I know anything phase. So the fact that you guys are like, Hey, Taylor, can you come on? You know, you're an expert in running and training. So I'm like, I don't feel like I am. Um, Cause I, you know, uh, but early in my career, I was that kid that was just, you know, thought he, hot shot, hot shot McGee top, you know, exercise science degree, but they broke me in Australia. And there was a reason why they were crushing the U S they brought home so many gold medals and the U S wasn't competing very intensely in cycling at the time when it came to track cycling. Hmm. Well, I, I want to mention something though, that you, you, you spoke about the reason that I wanted to bring you on was not because you are out there saying you're an expert. The reason I wanted to bring you on, because since the moment I met you, you have always been chasing the next, uh, you know, the next way to do things correctly or the correct way to do things and, and not getting stuck on, you know, here's 50 year old data, or this is the way that I was told to do it. So this is the way that we have to do it. Yeah. And that mindset, that continual improvement mindset is really what I think made you, uh, makes you a great coach. And, uh, you know, uh, one of the people I go to for advice on all these things. Yeah, I think that one of the things that I've wanted to do, and especially, you know, when I got the opportunity to work with you guys over in San Antonio, is to have a conversation that a lot of people aren't willing to have. And that conversation to me personally is uh, how we go about adapting people, how we go about getting people stronger, faster, better. And honestly, it's an uncomfortable conversation because the conversation I'm having is going to make a lot of professionals uncomfortable. Because now I'm the kid who spent the time learning. And now I'm going back to the experts and saying, that doesn't work. And I've got a better way. And anytime you challenge the status quo or something that's been done for 30 to 40 years, or you say, hey, have you ever thought about training people this way? It's going to ruffle some feathers. And, you know, that started initially through, you know, the mobility and, you know, stretching and joint stuff that, you know, obviously you guys if you're not aware, you know, I'm huge into and stuff like that, but even in terms of the way we go about training. So one question that changed me forever was actually one of the uh, questions. One of my mentors, Paul McElroy, who's a world champion, Irish guy, big red beard. Um, he asked me when he was training me and this, this comes back to I'll circle back in a second. Um, so basically he asked me, you know, Taylor, are you here to test and express what you already can do. And I was like, and then his second question was, or are you here to expand and develop what you can't do? And basically every single time I went to train with him or um, we did a training session together, he would start the training session and he'd be like, Taylor, are you here to test what you can do? Or are you here to expand what you can do? And all of a sudden that, that started to change everything right there because I was like test and expand like in 
the workouts seem exactly the same, but they're completely different. And then that led into, well, there's almost two types of ways we can think about making the human body stronger, faster, better. We can think about a gas pedal, like, like let's go in like kickouts. Let's throw down Murph. Let's do it for time. Let's go. Let's do it. Or those workouts where, you know, you leave the Batman sweat logo and you're like, oh yeah. Or Jocko Willis, like 4am, you know, in the morning, you know, pay the man. I love all that stuff. If you know me, I'll, I'm the first to go out there and do it. But then there's another thing is the parking brake. So when I talk about parking brake, we have psychological parking brakes. We have biological parking brakes and those we have technique parking brakes. If you think about someone who's trying to get bigger, faster, stronger, the first thing we do is say, okay, let's push our limits. Let's train. Let's push ourselves. Let's, let's, let's go. Let's, let's give it everything. Let's push our limits. Right. And what you end up doing is you end up breaking yourself because people haven't thought about it in the inverse, which means if you have all these biological parking brakes, imagine if you and I were pulling up to stoplight next to each other, I'd probably be on my bike, <laughs> but let's say we're in two like Porsches. If you and I are going to race each other, the light turns green and we slam down the gas pedal. Well, what if your parking brake is 65% on is your first thought? I need to press down the gas pedal harder no chance. And if it is, I think that you'd probably be lying because even if you did, you know, you'd be expending more energy to get less of a result in terms of forward progress. But yet this is what I see in training is people have a hip that's shitty. <laughs> There's my quote, right? Your hips are shit. I, I tell very bluntly to people and they're like, I know that. And then I'm like, so if you made your hip, that's 43% off awesome, 60% awesome. How could you perform worse? That's a parking brake you're taking off. And once again, that means you go into the gym with the thought of I'm here to expand what I can't do or expand myself, not test myself. And unfortunately, most people are going about training and getting stronger by just going in the gym and testing themselves. And that comes down to even running, even the way they go about uh, developing their energy systems or just training in a nutshell. So everything changed for me when it said, are we here to test what we can do or are we here to expand what we can do? And then it's more about the parking brake than the gas pedal. Now, if the gas pedal doesn't work, that's still a problem. If the engine can't put out power, okay, yeah. But you've got parking brakes on. If I ask you what your diet is right now, I'm probably probably not going to share it. Uh, if, if we break that down, you're going to get forward progress quicker by taking parking brakes off. And for most people, that's going to start at the joint level, but then we could get into the psychological level, which I know you guys know all the time that people set mental barriers and, you know, all that stuff, but that's where it all started. And that's where, that's the conversation I'm continuing to have is there's a lot of people that know how to get people strong, fast, awesome. I'm not the first, I won't be the last. And we've known how to do that for many years. How long have we been deadlifting for? Oh, forever. <laughs> Hundreds of years. We've picked up heavy stones. I, I don't need to convince someone how to get strong. You guys know how to get strong. Everyone does. Okay, cool. So if we all know how to get strong, it's not about what works because we've known what works for a long time. It's about what's optimal. And I'll even take that a step forward further. It's, it's about what's optimal for the individual, right? So that's the conversation I like having with people and it's uncomfortable. It's fun. But generally, if I do it well, and hopefully Trent can speak to this, 
you're never the same after I have conversations with you because I want people to shift the way they look about getting stronger, faster, better. It, uh, so before, you know, when you were bringing up your parking brake analogy, at first I thought you were thinking like it was focused in mobility because you talked about a 43% efficiency and a hip joint and that kind yeah. of stuff. And, and it really, in reality, like, you know, hip impingement and stuff like that, like mobility is a big thing. So I thought that's where you're going with it, which I think you were in some regards, but the other aspects of it, I didn't even consider being a parking break. And it's, it's not that, you know, it, it's obvious. Yes. Diet, sleep, hydration, all of that stuff plays in the factor. Right? But um, I mean, in your words, I know to, for me and my body, mobility is huge and I don't do enough of it as it is. And, I, and probably nobody does except for you and Kelly Starrett, Dr. Kelly Starrett. But, um, like, but I noticed that when I started doing yoga, um, just once a week after about three months, I could see my, my, just my three mile time significantly decrease. And I'm talking by like a minute, minute and a half decrease. And it wasn't that I was out there training harder or training better or anything like that. It's just that I did mobility, like just mobility stuff. And so in your, in your point of view or in your opinion, like how important and how often should people be doing mobility? I love it. Uh, I, I appreciate the fact that you shared that because you know, in this community that you guys are part of, and you know, this podcast is for, you know, everyone likes talking about doing the stuff that no one else will do, right? You're going to have to do what no one else will do. You're going to have to do the hard stuff. You're going to have to, you know, you know, you're going to have to do all these things that people don't want to do when, you know, no one else wants to do it. But then I'm like, okay, guys, it's time to make uh, time to stretch. And people are like, oh, man, it's so funny people will always find ways to wiggle around like they'll they'll be like there has to be another way there has to be another way there's no way that the reason why my back is hurting and squat is because i don't have a hip and when i say that that sounds ridiculous but what we've done is We've, we've kind of messed up the way we think about training and I'll, I'll expand upon that. And so when people go into the gym, they say, okay, I want to get bigger, faster, stronger, and maybe I've got pain or problems or plateaus. So they say, well, I want to get my leg stronger. So I'm going to start squatting. So they selected the squat. And when they go to Monday, they go and start training the squat and they work on technique in the squat. And they try to get it prettier, sexier, and awesome. And then they, over eight weeks, put more weight on the bar. And they are squatting heavier. And they feel strong and mission successful, right? Okay, it's time to get starched. Well, you might have gotten better at barbell, but worse at your hip. Now, that's going to freak out people because they're thinking I'm saying don't barbell squat. But that's the internet and that's people uh, kind of tangling the message. We need to think about your primary mission when you get in the gym is to get better at yourself, not squat. So this is the inverse. So people think, oh, I need to squat to get better at my hip. They don't think I need to hip to get better at my squat. And they're scared because they've never actually trained their joints in end ranges motion or stretches the same way they would in a squat. So I'm telling you right now, your body. So this is going to confuse people. 
your, your hips don't have eyes. Your quads don't have eyes. Neither do your knees or your elbows. They don't have eyes. Your brain is sheltered and dumb. And actually that's a quote from a Harvard scientist. Okay. Your brain is sheltered and dumb. That's Daniel Lieberman. He talks about it. What it means is your brain only can feel two things in a nutshell. Your brain talks through force or tension. So when we put muscles under tension, bones, ligaments, fascia, it feels that, right? So when I put my quad under tension, it feels tension, but it can't see what that tension is coming from. It could be a log in the forest I'm picking up. It could be I'm picking up my kid. It could be a barbell. It could be a stretch. Your body can't differentiate between them. It just feels force and tension. The second thing is energetics, which I'm sure we'll talk about when we maybe, you know, divert to running later in this conversation. So energetics is energy or how you're producing energy or the energy demands of your exercise. So ready? Your brain does not know the difference between if I was doing an end range stretch with a heavy, intense isometric. So say I go into the middle split. And I know that people are like, I'm, a, I'm an operator, don't do the splits. I'm like, I get it. We go into the middle split and I contract my adductors as hard as humanly possible. First off, most people would be scared to death. They're like, I'm going to rip myself in half. But then two seconds later, they're like, stretching makes you weak. And I'm like, so you're saying you just felt like it was so intense, you're going to rip your muscles in half, but yet it's not a good enough training stimulus to give you strength. Like, come on now. It's like, have you ever seen a gymnast do an iron cross? You ever think, wow, look at that weakling over there. <laughs> but yet all the time, because of the way it's been taught and it's been taught poorly, hence why that's one of my missions is I go around to places, whether it's professional sports teams, military organizations, I go around and I teach people how to actually go about that business. But your brain doesn't know whether I'm doing a max barbell squat or I was contracting my adductors in an end range isometric. It feels the tension. And based on that tension, there's going to be an energy demand. The higher tension is going to be obviously a different type of energy demand than lower tension. And then I'm going to get a response based on the input I put into my body. And that's dependent on the intensity of the contraction. So once again, to you, you say, oh, look at that guy over there. He's stretching, wasting his time. And to me, I'm just saying I'm strength training. You're just doing it with a bar. I'm doing it with myself. See, it's, 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 it's hard for people to accept because number one, very few people practice and teach this anywhere. So I want you to think about if you and I have a hip, let's say my hip is functioning at 70% and yours is functioning at 30%. Let's think about efficiency, right? So if, you're, if your hip costs $7 every rep you do and mine costs $3 every rep I do and I give you $100, I can do more work. Why? Because my hip is healthier. Healthy joints make difficult movements more efficient. Fact. I've never seen someone get healthier joints and perform worse. But every time people jack themselves up, what's the first thing they go and do? Joint mobility. It's the first thing they do. And then once they get rid of pain, they stop doing it or they treat it like a standalone, like, okay, uh, here's the warm up. Here's the workout. Now it's time for my joint mobility where I grab my bands and stick my lacrosse balls up my butt. And people aren't thinking of it as the strength, like, right. It's crazy to me. So if I go and say, what happens to an astronaut after they spend a year in space? Well, they get really weak. Fantastic. I agree. What happens to their, like everything. They just have oh, bo bo yeah, bone density, muscle density. They atrophy. Everything. 
So, so now people get done with their workout and working hard and putting lots of tension and force into their joints to get stronger. And then they go to the areas that are tight, restricted and need to change. And they just sit there and put a lacrosse ball in it. So what you are is you are turning into an astronaut in space, AKA you are literally doing nothing because there's not enough force to change anything And everywhere I go. I ask people, are you comfortable with the way your spine moves? And people are like, oh no, my spine is trash. Hey, are your ankles moving well? No. Okay. Well, you're telling me you need to change. Stop attacking me, Taylor. (laughs) Everyone. We're all getting, we're all getting starched right now. (laughs) Except for Shakira, except for Shakira, her, her hips do not lie. Can confirm. That's true. Uh, But the whole point is that you tell me you need to change something that's limiting you. And that's a parking brake. But yet you spend all your workout training and adapting your squat, but then you get done to the end of the workout and then you don't put the same effort into getting more ankle. So your ankle doesn't change. So AK, you stick a lacrosse ball or piece of foam on your thigh and you wake up the next day with the same thigh, the same hip, the same ankle, the same spine. Because remember I said in the beginning, if you're going to test your limits or expand them, if you go to test your limits, you'll wake up the same uh, the next day with the same limits. If you go to expand your capacities, you wake up the next day with new capacities. <laughs> so, so are you, are, are you just because you, you had said something now, like I mobilized beforehand before yeah. I do a, a, a yeah. training session, whatever it is, whether it's, you know, running freaking a, a wad or whatever, yeah. but, um, and then I do it. And usually, unless I have an issue, I'm not mobilizing on the back end. So you're saying kind of do bookends, mobilize, train, mobilize. So it, I'm going to, I'm going <coughs> to, excuse me. I, I want you to rethink. Like I, when we say, mo- we, we just need to, we just need to get rid of the word mobility. That's okay. the problem. I'll take it. We need to get rid of the words warm up and mobility and just say, I'm here to train. Because the problem is we're trying to divvy them up because it's nice and it flows and it's, oh, it's easy for a trainer, coach, or therapist to be like, okay, guys, we're going to spend the next 15 minutes doing mobility work instead of saying, okay, Peaches, you come to me and you say, Taylor, you know, my back is giving me problems. So I go, you don't have a hip. Okay. Our mission is not squat. Our mission is hip. Will I have you squat? Yeah. If you tell me, Taylor, I want to be a beast and I want squat. Okay. But I'm not getting you to squat until you hip. So when you go to the shooting range, you show up with, let's just say a set amount of ammo. So let's say I show up with 25 rounds. I've got 25 rounds. And obviously you guys know, you probably spend in time getting your, you know, scope dialed in and wind speed. You you guys get what I'm saying. I'm terrible at explaining that. But if I had 25 bullets, you don't just start shooting with the intent of missing. Every shot is fired with the intent of hitting. So let's call those adaptation bullets, okay? So when you show up to the gym, our goal is to not test fitness. That that should happen day one is we test your fitness and then push it aside. I don't care what your max is. My only only concern is improving your max. And my max is not a squat, it's you. People are saying, oh, I just hit a one rep, rep, a new one rep max of the bench press. How often do you hear said, I hit a one new rep max of myself? It's backwards. It's backwards. My goal is you. 
not a particular exercise. How many people have you said, oh, my bench press is the heaviest it's ever been and I feel worse than I ever have. My shoulder's killing me. They do the stick the thumb in the front of the shoulder like this and it's going to go away thing. So just because barbell gets up doesn't mean body goes with it. So if we think about training like a shooting range, your adaptation bullets are dictated by your training age, your experience, your technique, your recovery, your joint health and capacity. So say I've got really healthy joints. I show up to the shooting range with more adaptation bullets because my tissues are healthier. I have more range of motion. I have better blood flow. Um, Let's say they have got good technique. I can fire more more bullets than the person that has shitty technique, uh, all that. And if we think about that, people have less bullets than they think they have at the shooting range, so to speak. So when you go to the gym, I tell people you have five bullets today or three. And that's based on how they walked in. So say they walked in, they're like, man, I'm hungover uh, and my back hurts. Okay, you get two bullets today and we might fire those two bullets at spine, not deadlift. Because if I fire at deadlift, doesn't mean I get spine. So what I'm trying to say is we only have so much, so many bullets or so much adaptation currency we can spend each week. If you go and say, I'm going to do my wad and I'm not, people should be careful. I'm not picking on CrossFit as a bad or evil thing. It's just an easy example. It's huge in the community. So I'm going to go do my wad and fire my bullets. And then I spent my bullets. And then when I go to mobility, I can't adapt. Does that make sense? Yeah. You you have nothing left to adapt because if I asked you guys, could I get stronger bench pressing an empty bar? Well, you would be like, well, Taylor, yeah, for you probably. (laughs) So you know, there's a certain threshold you have to lift above to get stronger. So then when it comes to people's joint work, they all of a sudden turn it down to like negative zero, which is well, roll yourself with a piece of foam. Now, uh, for you peaches with yoga, you're going to say, well, well, what about yoga? I get that conversation all the time for you guys that are on and off where you have to kick ass, take names and then recover and chill. For you, sometimes you get yourself stuck in that on switch where you're sympathetic, you're, you know, you're, you're all wired up. So for operators, yoga can have a big downward effect and that's why they see that. But I'll say if you were going to pick getting strong, yoga is not my first thought. If I was going to relax, breathe and have community for sure. So what happens is people say they want to change. They say they have these parking brakes, then they fire all their bullets at this arbitrary workout that's testing their current capacities. Then they force their body, almost like an arm robbery, to give them strength in a particular movement. And then 12 weeks later, when their back's killing them and their shoulder hurts, they think it's just part of the business. That makes it's sense. because no one's ever come along and said, you can train this differently. Well, and, and I kind of wanted to touch on that to go back to kind of where, how we got here in the first place. And one of the big things is, is knees, right? And I remember you telling me about how we got to the place uh, a long time ago where limiting the range of motion <laughs> with our knees, where that came from. And can you kind of, not to like just jump to a different topic. Yeah, I love, I love can, the story. We can, go, we can go all over the place. I'm a random person. I'm weird. I'm goofy. Well, I want to do I, knees and then like yeah, running. You know. Yeah, so... <laughs> I, I'll break this down. So you guys have heard, don't let your knees come over your toes. We've, we've all heard it. If you haven't heard it, I'm shocked because it's one of the top um, myths that's been circulating for decades. 
across the fitness industry, across physical therapy, the don't let your knees come over your toes. In fact, you'll see some trainers push people's knees back or don't let your knee collapse in, um, which I find is interesting. So here's what happened. Uh, Dr. Carl Klein back in the fifties and sixties was a professor and he was a guy who wanted to kind of get recognition, this little paraphrasing. So he started touring around the country with a hypothesis that it was bad or detrimental to the knee ligaments for the knee to travel in front of the toe because, oh, it would put a lot of load into the knee. So he started traveling around and teaching his story. Uh, and I know a lot of your listeners have heard, don't let your knees come over your toe. Don't, don't, round, don't lift with a rounded back, all those jazz. So this shows you how myths get created and then cause problems in the training world. So he goes around and he starts, he creates this contraption that measures force at the knee, which he was going to sell. And basically he did this really poorly done study, which should have never been accepted. He took a bunch of Olympic weightlifters from the Pan Am games. So pro Olympic weightlifters, ballers. And then he took a bunch of people who never squad before novices. And then he's like, let's all squat heavy and to full depth. And guess what they found? They found that there was more force at the knee when it was like more compressive force when the knee got low via his contraption. If you look at the old black and white photos, there was a contraption that went around the knee that measured force and all that. He was actually trying to patent and sell that. Well, what happened is in his conclusion, he said, there's more force placed on the knee in a deep squat. And then guess what happened? Sports Illustrated picked up the story and they said, there's more force placed on the knee in a deep squat when your knees come over your toes. And then all of a sudden, Sports Illustrated, the military heard about it. And they said, oh my gosh, there's more force at the knee. So it sounds like this scary thing, right? If I say, you know, I'm putting a lot of force in your low back. Oh no. Oh no. Don't do that. Don't do that. So then the military kind of, he started it, it, it got super popular. And then the military said, we need to stop having people do full depth squats, squat jumps. Like they were doing like duck walks, um, for, you know, grass and grills type movements, as you guys know, and the military said, we need to ban this. It's bad. There's lots of force going in the knee. This is bad for the ligaments. And basically in his conclusion, he was like, this place is a lot of load on the ligaments. And you hear that in the military then banned it. And then pretty soon it was commonly known. You should not squat to depth at the time, people who were experts on in the area. So you had some of the top strongest people in the world say that's bullshit. That's not true. So what they didn't realize is it put more force in the knee, but took load off the back. It's a, it's a trade-off just like anything there's left and right up and down all that stuff. So the people at the time were like, this is bullshit. This is wrong. All the experts who actually were the strong people. Well, they didn't believe it because they said, where's your research study? Where's your PhD? And then you flash forward half a century later, there probably will be 500,000 posts today of trainers saying, don't let your knees come over your toes. It's bad for you. So that's a little offset. And to this day, that's where that myth started from. And people still believe that you go into everyday people. And it just shows you how small little kind of bit, bit of information taken in the wrong context can just go crazy. It's absolutely crazy. It's kind of like uh, the uh, block periodization with the Russians. So people think they're being smart by using block periodization with the Russians. You'll see pro strength coaches be like, oh, we use block periodization. Well, the reason the Russians did that was because in winter, 
there wasn't much sunlight in Russia. So they didn't have good vitamin D exposure. So they realized if they train people hard during then, it was detrimental to training. Once again, putting an effort without much reward. So they created this system. And then once they found out how to supplement with vitamin D, they stopped doing it because it was ineffective. So that's I've literally never heard of that. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sorry. I'm probably going to people, I'm going to get messages from all these top strength coaches and therapists saying this kid, don't stop this kid. He's dangerous. You you won't, I will tear down everything in the industry. I'll tear it. You won't get that. You won't get that because they're not they're not watching us. <laughs> but that's the thing is so much of what people think is like legit information that's just been spewed for it's it's not that it's wrong, it's just inadequate, incomplete, and especially with our current context of what we know. Same thing. Uh I I I could kind of tangent this to running. So you guys know anaerobic aerobic? Well, all I heard is uh, uh aerobic makes you fat. Yeah. Cardio makes you feel so, so what if I told you this? So, so let's have fun with this and let's see if we can get your guys' podcast views up a little bit. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm just messing with you guys. I have beet juice this morning, so I'm good to go, guys. Drink your beet juice. It's powered up. Um, so like, for instance, that like, you know, people, the, the common thing is, you know, people do the high intensity interval training. It's common. It's awesome. And then especially, you know, in the operator community on uh, the soft community, you guys have insane demanding jobs where you're carrying heavy equipment, you're doing badass stuff. I get it hundred percent. So people say, okay, what do, what do we do or what do we like to do? Cause high intensity interval trainings are fun. Metcons are fun. Wads are fun because why testing your fitness is fun. You get a receipt of badassery that you can post to Instagram that you tell your friends, you get the sweat marks, you get the high fives, you get the soreness. My goodness, if sweaty, tired, and sore was the measure of success, I could stick you in a sauna for a week, keep you up 24 seven, hit you with a stick. You'd be sweaty, tired, sore. You're not performing better, but people want a receipt of bad assness. And so that's what they do in their training. So, uh, man, I'm getting on tangents myself, but so when we think about the common myths, right? Aerobic training makes you weak. It makes you fat. Why, why would I do it when the research says I can do high, high intensity intervals uh, a few times a week, or I could do Tabatas or Taylor. I don't have times. I have kids. Um, you know, I don't want to run marathons. I just want to, you know, I want to do my job. Well, I want to be able to have endurance or I want to make it through the pipeline or combat control school. Well, the first thing I want to do is kind of break the mold here. So you're going to have a lot of people like train based on like the energy demands, which we, you guys would know at least, do you guys know fundamentally like aerobic, anaerobic kind of that spiel? Yep. Okay. So can I well, break? Should we go yeah. through it though? Cause that's cause what I know. want to do. Yeah. I, we're, it's a, it's time to get starched again. So Ew. this is going to be, this is going to be, this is going to be kind of a little bit tricky advanced topics, but I'd want to explain simply like Einstein said, explain it to, you know, uh, SR and you can <laughs> explain <laughs> it. Well getting hurtful. So, so here's what I want you to think. If we did a 30 second sprint on an airdyne, let's say all out, that'd be something commonly we'd see people do in the community. We'd be thrown up and you guys are going to scream at me. That is an anaerobic effort. A lot of people who are smarter might say that's anaerobic, a lactate, which means without lactate, right? You're not right? Producing lactate. They would say that's good for our sprinters. That's going to be good for fat loss. 
that's going to be, that's going to save us time and give us all those amazing benefits that we all want and love. Your heart rate's high. We're kicking ass. We're taking aims. Okay. What if I told you that a 30 second sprint is an aerobic effort? I'd agree with that. Okay. What if I told you a 10 second sprint was an aerobic effort? So what if I told you all training is aerobic? Well, yeah, because, because you can, you can, you know, that's, I'm sorry, I'm I'm getting a little bit, but, but, but like people talk about weightlifting, like, Hey, I'm going to do bench or I'm going to squat or whatever. Right. And it's, you know, if you lift it fast enough, it can be, and here I, so, I'm going to get roasted right now, but yeah, it can yeah, be, a, it. It, it can be aerobic. So it, we'll get, we'll all, I'll get to that in a second, the lifting weights faster, but here's, here's what I want you to think. If most people said Hussein Bolt, they're like, oh, he's an anaerobic monster. I think he's an aerobic monster because here's the deal. So if you just go and spin on a bike for 10 seconds as fast as possible, people are like, oh, he's doing anaerobic training, high intensity. He's not using oxygen right? Because if you know the basic energy system curve that they teach in every course, it's past two minutes is more aerobic. Uh, then you have glycolysis or it's kind of, oh, that's like running a 400. You're using glycolysis or glycogen. And then if you're sprinting really fast for 10 seconds, you use something called phosphocreatine. That's where you get creatine from, right? Right. You prefer that those three energy systems, fast, medium, slow, aerobic. Well, if you do a, a 10 second sprint as fast as possible, what you're actually going to see if you would put on something like a NEARS device, which is where they're measuring oxygen saturation at the, at the capillary level down in the muscle, you're going to notice oxygen drop immediately. So you wouldn't notice it with a heart rate. So your heart, mon- your heart rate monitor would say your heart rate's through the roof, but oxygen is being utilized immediately in the muscle. So there's a point to this. That means that oxygen responds immediately to load. So that means the second you start doing anything, we're utilizing oxygen right away. It's not, it's not two minutes. So it's not like, oh, if I run a 5K, I'm doing aerobic work. And if I do uh, 400, it's an anaerobic effort. No, it's all aerobic. And at the same time, we're producing lactate. Uh, lactate's being used as a fuel all the time. It's not a byproduct of fatigue. So why that's important is because people, and especially when they're training, are they're, they're focused on, oh, well, you know, I'm going to do anaerobic to work today, or they're thinking about, well, I want to train this energy system. Those three basic energy systems are so inseparable that they're always working together in a symphony to provide energy or recycle ATP. So you're always using them. Now, why that matters is because When people go to train, they say, okay, I'm doing aerobic training today or anaerobic training. What they need to think is they need to think what's actually their parking brake of delivering energy. And the parking brake is going to come from one of three areas. And I'll get back to your point of lifting weights quick. And hopefully this is not too science-y. If you guys, if I get too nerdy, you let me know. Okay. So parking brakes of delivering energy. So if energy equals work, if you don't have energy, can't work. I don't care far. I don't care who you are. Once energy is gone, you're not working. So we care about this. So a parking brake is going to be your cardiovascular system or your heart is pumping all the blood through right the capillaries and the veins and the arteries and all that stuff. Second thing is going to be your muscles ability to utilize oxygen. That's going to be via your mitochondria and all that stuff. So we got the heart kind of, let's call it the heart. Let's make it simple. 
We got the muscle being able to utilize the oxygen that the heart pumps to it. And then we got the lungs or the respiratory system, the lungs, the diaphragm, who get CO2 out, carbon dioxide, and O2 in. So if we parse that down, we kind of have three parking brakes, which are all going to be on to certain degrees, but you're going to be limited by one or two of those more than the other. So let me give an example there. When I get my heart rate up quickly, if I do Fran, right? I'm sure you guys all do Fran. Is your time less than one minute? No. <laughs> what? What's the record no. Fran, by the way? It's bonkers. Have you ever looked up the record Fran time? Yeah, it's, it's insane. I think, the, I think the quickest I ever got was, it was either like a 359 or a 259, something like that. But yeah, not, I am not getting that now. Yeah, it's crazy. So this is going to come back to your point. And I, I like teaching in circular. So I give you a little context. Then I'll talk about something else. Then I'll bring it full circle. So the common thing is lift weights quickly doing cardio. That's the fun joke around the burrows, right? Hey, hey dude, we're, we're doing cardio, baby. It's bicep curl city. Technically, I'll say that's actually true because your body only speaks what? Tension and force and energetics. So technically, you could produce a cardiovascular training stimulus, but here's the problem. When I lift weights quickly, I have to get blood to my working muscles because I'm working hard. And then blood has to get back to the heart and the lungs. Very simple. Blood goes from the heart to the working muscles, comes back to the lungs and fills up the heart again. Here's the problem. For most people, when you're working between zero and 30% of your max, let's just say, let's make that as an arbitrary statement, that you're going to get blood to the working muscle, you're going to deliver oxygen, that oxygen is going to be used, which means you can create or recycle energy and work. Cool. When we get to 30 to 70% of our max, we're going to get something that's called a venous occlusion. Now, that's a fancy word for blood goes to the working muscles. And since we're starting to flex harder, by the way, my biceps looking polished today. Um, <laughs> someone's going to laugh at that. Uh, that's right. So when we start to flex, yay, come on. You got to get flex Fridays. <laughs> Trent left because he's like, Trent's like, I'm out. My, this my kids were screaming. I'm sorry. <laughs> so what I was explaining is when you get, when you start, when the weights start going up or you start doing like opposing move, movements that are rhythmic, like kettlebell snatch to push up, to ring dip, to, when it's not rhythmic, contract, relax, contract, relax, or if you're really strong and you can contract really hard. So when you're above 30%, so if you're around 30 to 70% of your max flex and you're doing that repetitively, especially in a non-rhythmic like wad or lifting weights quick, blood gets trapped in the working muscle, right? The muscle squeezes, blood gets stuck there. And why is that a problem? Because it's not going to get back to the heart. So here's why your heart starts spiking quickly when you do a Metcon or wad or hit. Blood goes to the muscle. You start working harder. It gets trapped in the muscle. So when it comes back to the heart, your heart does not fill up as much. And when your heart fills with blood, it will stretch and contract. The more blood it fills up with, the larger it stretches and the harder it contracts. So now let's think about, let's do a Metcon. So I'm going, I'm here to test my fitness. I'm here to be a badass. I hear to get better. So we go and we pick a workout. It's like, let's say it's handstand push up to kettlebell swing to inverted ninja burpee, whatever. Non rhythmic, it's upper body, it's chaos, right? It's fun. So I get, blood's trying to come back to the heart, but it can't because it needs it in the muscle or it's being trapped by that squeeze. 
So then the heart says, well, uh uh-oh, I've got to keep outputting oxygen, so I've got to be quicker. Because the simple equation is heart rate times the amount of blood that leaves the heart is your cardiac output. So if I'm not getting much blood leaving the heart because it's getting trapped in the working muscle, what does heart rate have to do? It has to get super hot. So that's why when uh, you mentioned earlier, um, uh, if you spike the heart rate, I'm doing cardio, it's actually not necessarily true. You might be getting immense benefits when it comes to utilizing oxygen at the muscular level, which means oxygen goes into the mitochondria and is being recycled for energy. That's awesome. But in terms of improving your heart's ability to pump blood, no, because what do we need? We need a stretch of the heart. So when we go to low intensity aerobic training or the aerobic training, everyone hates. And I hate to say it that, you know, it's going to be common that even our, you know, the community that you guys are involved in and, you know, operators in general, it's far and few in between the people that enjoy more the long, slow, low intensity versus the badass melting in a pile of myself, bathing in lactate. And I get it too. I I'm with you guys. I'm not part of your community, but I am part of the people that like getting after it and training hard. It's hard to not have that receipt and to realize that it's not hard. Meaning I might be working at a heart rate around 135 beats per minute, but why do we have to work at that low intensity? Because if there's venous occlusion, because the muscle squeezing too hard or not rhythmic, meaning I'm doing a water Metcon or circuit, blood does not get back to the heart. It does not stretch. And we don't get what's called eccentric hypertrophy, which means the heart is getting larger with the left ventricle, which means that I can pump more blood. I can pump it harder because to break those venous occlusions, the heart has to pump harder to kind of break that seal open, if that makes sense. So what's happening is people are doing generally this for training within the operating community. And I love it. I've got to put that disclaimer out there. So people don't think I'm like this anti, like, oh, this kid just sits, stretches and walks up on his treadmill. No, if you know my training, I I train just the way you guys do, but with a different lens and context. So now we have someone doing a lot of powerlifting based movements, heavy trap bar, deadlift, bench press. Then they get their Metcons and wads. They do bodybuilding is because you know why we got to look good. You know, those thick thighs save lives. Is that the, that's PJs? Yeah. <laughs> I might, I might've messed that up just a little bit. Also that others. May <laughs> Correct. My bad. Uh, but you know, for the guys on school team six, it's thick thighs save lives. So think about those three, those three movements involve a lot of what venous occlusion where blood's getting trapped in the working muscle muscle. Um, that involves a lot of non-rhythmic movement and it's not long duration at all. So that's going to be, um, that's going to be one of those things where we're training the opposite. Remember the body doesn't know whether we're doing a set of 10 deadlifts or we're starting to initiate like a sprint on an aerodyne, right? So that's just one of those things. And when you're deadlifting at max, which is 90% or above for max, you're actually going to get what's called an arterial occlusion, which means blood's not getting into the muscle or it's not getting out. So it's just trapping it. It's just staying in there. And that's why oxygen is getting burned up through really quick. So I can actually look at strength training in terms of the lens of aerobic training because all training is aerobic to a degree. If you actually don't have oxygen, you're not going to make it long. You're, you're done. So if you think about low intensity training, 
if we're going too hard, we're actually not going to get the benefits of a stronger heart that can pump blood more effectively. That sounds like a big problem to me because that's probably a lot of people's parking brakes in the soft community and operator community because you're already getting good at utilizing the oxygen with your Metcons. You got, right? We're already getting arterial, arterial occlusion, which is going to be your max strength training. So I'm asking, where's the other? So I don't see most people doing anything with the respiratory system, which means training of the lungs and diaphragm specifically. And then the nasty, slow, low intensity work is going to be specific. So they go too hard when it's time to go for low intensity and they end up occluding blood and they don't get the benefit that they necessarily need. That was a lot. So, so, so you're, so is that the other part of the triangle that you're talking about or, or did I, am I? Yeah. So think about it in terms of. Think about it in terms of what limits us. So if you are, if we think about those parking brakes and I'm trying to get, right, I'm trying to build my aerobic endurance or I'm trying to improve my run. Well, if I'm really good at utilizing oxygen, AKA I'm a Hussein Bolt, I'm a fast and furious, I can blow through Metcon and crush everyone in the gym. Okay, you're good at utilizing oxygen, but you might suck at being able to maintain your respiratory system, which means oxygen in and out, right? And you can't deliver blood effectively to continue to get it back to the heart. So that's a problem. So you can keep training Metcons all you want. And yes, consistency over time will yield results. But once again, we already know what works. I'm talking about what's optimal and what's optimal for the individual. So you might get better because you just did it for five years, but your limiter was your heart. And for most people, it's uncomfortable to say their limiters, their heart, because you have to pull back. You have to go low intensity. And since we're at low intensity, we have to spend egregious amounts of time to be able to get that stimulus because it's low intensity. It's funny because I'm sure I'm sure you've been part of some of the monster mashes or something like that. And for those folks that don't know, you know, a monster mash is some kind of um, physical, mental and, you know, uh, intestinal fortitude challenge, uh, that we do. And it could be anywhere between 45 minutes and three hours kind of thing. And it's a, it's a mixture of a whole bunch of things, but like that kind of goes to that. Um, it almost trains kind of, uh, you know, everything that you're talking about, because you're, well, I have your high intensity, uh, interval somewhere in there, you know, um, there's going to be lifting heavy things, whether it's a boat or, you know, deadlift trap bar or something like that. Yeah. And then, you know, some aspects of it, there's breath holding in terms of swimming or, or something like that. So, but it's, it's for a long duration. And that's one of the things that I, I really, not only, you know, the, the camaraderie of it, but really the training aspect of it that I really enjoy with our monster matches that we do. I agree completely. That's, that's why I got into Spartan races because it's like that, like, and that's what I love about this community. Like you can't just be good at like delivering oxygen and being the cardiovascular pump monster, as I'd call it, where you just can deliver a lot of oxygen because what happens when you go and you now have to throw down like, you know, 50 man makers as fast as possible. Oh, you've got to utilize oxygen now quickly, but I just love it because it's just like this. It's, it's the hardest thing in the world is to be good at all of it. Right. Is, but knowing what our parking brakes are is going to be extremely huge. And for most people, like if you want to know how much of a parking brake you have, when it comes to your aerobic system, here's an easy test. Like 
go run a mile as hard as possible. And Ferrari, people are like, oh, God, a mile. <laughs> go run a mile as hard as possible. All out, just go for it. Perfect. Now what I want you to do is I want you to rest so you're obviously prepared and you want to make sure that, um, you know, you're well hydrated, all that stuff. And then on the second effort, I want you to run a mile, but here's the rules. You have to have water in your mouth the whole time. So you're only nasal breathing. So now I've, Ooh. now I'm saying, so ready? So I've taken away your primary way of getting air at high intensity because nasal breathing is an amazing training stimulus. Um, but obviously as we get to higher intensities, the mouth has to get involved. Actually, if you guys know the five zone system, you don't really need to use your mouth till zone four technically. So then you put water in your mouth. You have to keep in your mouth. Then you have to run the mile through your nose breathing at a heart rate of 180 minus your age below that. So if you start going above that, you have to slow down and then look at the difference between the two times. I think most people will be flabbergasted. Oh, well, I'll, I'll tell you that there's few things more uh, humbling than thinking you're good at running and you have aerobic capacity than going out there and trying to do uh, an aerobic event and keep your heart rate uh, like yeah. at 135. See, that's and you the, end up see, that's walking. The it's, it's, it's horrible. It's easy for operators to go hard. It's hard for operators to go easy. And 100%. So what I'm if someone the, sees me walking, it's I, the I worst. Want hard, I want hard in the right way. So remember, like, can you give me hard for your hip capsule? And most people are like, oh my God, that's so brutal, horrible, and terrible. I'm like, I thought that's what you'd like to do. I thought you liked getting after the suck. Well, oh, no. right, the suck. Well, you can't stay in a stretch for four minutes. Oh my gosh. Oh, right? thinking about thinking about doing a couch stretch for four minutes sounds <laughs> terrible. See, exactly. It's so funny how we choose our hard, and that's human. And I get I'm not here to turn people into people that just get rid of deadlifts and go run for four hours. No, but you have to think about it. It's like, how do we go about building a better human or one that can specifically kick ass and take names 24-7 on and on and on? Well, we got to know what is limiting them. And for most people, in my humble opinion, it's their joint capacity because they're not training to make themselves better. They're training to make a particular exercise heavier. Second thing would be when it comes to aerobic training is knowing that what their limiter is. And for most people, it is a heart because whenever they go running, they just get their heart rate as high as possible and just try to run as fast and as hard as they can. So if, if I'm hearing you right, and if I'm, I'm wrapping this up, we usually yeah. end with uh, like advice for the, you know, 16 to 22 year olds out there that are thinking about uh, entering the pipeline. So you're saying you, and, and we're going to have another episode with you. I think we have to. But like, just I, yeah, to, I, if I got too nerdy with it, it for anyone oh no. watching this, like I get super nerdy and sometimes I forget, like, I'm like, Taylor, you, you be careful. That's no. you're going to scare people. I, I love it. But uh, just the, the, the three things that most people should probably be working on as an advice, as we cap this thing before we, yeah. we have our next episode, um, joints, low intensity work. And then number three thing they should work on. Yeah. So I would say this, I think you could sum it up like this. Um, your goal is hip before squat, uh, shoulder before bench, right? You, you want to think, I want my shoulder to be the best shoulder possible before I go and do others. My goal is when I get to workout, I say my goal is shoulder. When I leave, I want my shoulder functioning better, not worse than when I walked in. Most people leave the workout with worse range of motion, with more pain, 
and more problems than when they came in. Wasn't that the point of training or were you here to test yourself? Because if you were here to test yourself, you did that three days ago. When are you expanding yourself if you're always testing yourself? So ask yourself this question every day, this change the way. Am I here to test what I can do today and wake up with the same limits tomorrow? Or am I here to expand what I can do and wake up with new limits tomorrow? Boom. The workouts look the same to the average person, completely different in terms of context. Number two is low intensity is easy. It is mind-boggling a mental challenge, which welcome to the show. And when people try to go easy, they go too hard. So I'm telling you right now, there's not a magic heart rate that solves it all. And depending on your abilities and your background, you might not be able to run and get a low intensity training stimulus. You might have to be on a bike because you might get venous occlusion while running. There's some CrossFitters that will be at 125 beats per minute and still occluding blood because they're just so strong. So the answer is, if anyone's heard of the 80-20 rule where 80% of your cardiovascular training is lower intensity, 20% higher. I, 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 I'm in that camp. So I would say that it's an arbitrary number. It doesn't have to be 80 on the dot. That whole 80% of your training should be lower intensity because your heart is your limiter. It, I believe is true. And then third is, yeah, just get started. <laughs> no, I, I can't wait to have an next We got to set up the next episode and, and get super nerdy and get some details for yeah. everybody that still has questions after this. Uh, and, and in the meantime, we can find you on Instagram. Uh, yeah, I'm, in, I'm, in, I'm just an Insta guy. I've, I think, you know, I've got a couple things on YouTube kind of as a backup, but Instagram for the meantime until things change, but yep. Just Taylor Starch. At Taylor Starch. All right. Well, uh, Peaches, you got anything else? No, that's it. Appreciate you coming on and starching me. Yeah, thanks, guys. Yeah, hopefully, yeah, just let that brain open what's, up. What's so funny is that people are going to, if you're watching the YouTube, you're going to see several times during this where I'm just kind of like, you are definitely just blowing my mind. I'm, <laughs> I'm definitely <laughs> lost. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, you, you, it's it's one of those where when you start talking about this, all of a sudden people kind of have that like uh oh moment where they realize, uh, oh, wait, there's another. I asked one. I asked the wrong question. Whoops. <laughs> it's okay. It's good. It's all good. I'm the biggest. Let, let's get faster, stronger, better. But let's rethink how we go about that. And I think what we'll understand is we can have less bad and more good. And I'm talking bad is plateaus, pain, or uh, lack of performance. Perfect. Well, everybody, that's it for today. Uh, make sure you follow us everywhere, give us reviews, and then also get out there, get starched, train hard, and we'll catch you next time. Later.